This is an ABC podcast. Hey, as a warning, this episode contains some heavy stuff. Remember, you can reach Lifeline 24 hours a day on 13 11 14. Every fortnight, we send a new podcast out into the world. And part of making this stuff involves asking you to share a lot. Sometimes it's things you've never told anyone about love or about sex or about that time you jumped on a trampoline and a bit of wee came out. After every episode, our inbox is chockers with women wanting to tell us their stories. Hi, team. Hey, Yumi. Hey, ladies. I've got a question about... I've never told anyone this, but... Nobody knows this about me. Can you please talk about... I was just listening to your podcast and thought, oh, my God. I'm Yumi Steins. Ladies, for our final episode for the year, we need to talk about you. We've tackled some big topics this season, like cheating, pornography and even foreplay. (laughs) And we have had a bloody good time doing it. Nothing. No sex. Not even a finger bang. (laughs) Nothing. I'll just talk about my vagina quickly. (laughs) We, we We can deal with that. Hey, Yumi, you know, I... I'd really love us to connect tonight. I'd really love us to be intimate. Are you up for that? How are you feeling? Well, I've just had a really rotten day and there's Doritos all over the bed. Oh, wow. I really doubt that any girl your age is up for three penises at once. You really have to work your way up to that. (laughs) We've also been really moved by some of the things you've told us. It doesn't matter what the gestation is that you lose. You're heartbroken. You didn't want that baby any less because it was six weeks or eight weeks versus 19 weeks or 22 weeks. You loved that baby and you wanted that baby and you're heartbroken that that baby is gone. And we've been touched by your willingness to share. Hello, testing, testing. Okay. hello, everybody. I'm going to be tracking my cycle in the name of womanhood and science and all things period-related. This could be a bit funny. I don't really know exactly what to say. So, yeah, I guess we'll go on a journey together. Oh, before we go any further, this episode is not one of those crappy rehash episodes where we just cobble together best of bits that you've actually already heard. No. It's a thank you to all the people who've shared their stories this season. It's a catch-up with some folks that we want to hear from and it's a high-five to every one of you in our kick-ass ladies community. After we looked at the secret life of hormones, so many people got in touch to talk about how much they'd learnt. Professor Jayshree Kulkarni is the psychiatrist from that episode who may just be the most helpful woman I know. I think the biggest thing that women don't know about their reproductive hormones is that these hormones that govern reproduction are also really involved in the brain in determining mental state or mental health. So the same hormones, estrogen and progesterone, that are in charge of ovulation and having babies are also in charge of whether you're depressed, anxious, angry, foggy-brained as well. 
After that episode went out, a lot of women told us they'd started tracking their own cycles and were learning things about their bodies that they had no idea about. For instance, Karen. Like many of us, for the last two decades, she's been on contraception pretty much the whole time, except for when she's been pregnant or breastfeeding. She got in touch because she didn't know much about her natural cycle. So she thought she'd come off contraception and find out. It was a really exciting experience to actually take a bit of control over what my body was doing, to notice what my bleeding was doing, because I haven't had a regular cycle, what seems like a very long time. So it's actually been a great thing for me. I was getting this bloating pain, which of course I've had for a long, long time on and off, but it seemed to fall into a pattern where it was about two days before I ovulated. For someone who had kind of thought that she was fairly in touch with her body, to realise that that's actually the signal that tells me I'm about to ovulate. For me, it was a really exciting experience. The Secret Life of Hormones was a light bulb moment for so many women. We were flooded with emails saying, This is me! I've got PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, the severe form of PMS. Other women just really wanted to talk about the impact they feel hormones have on their lives. Like Jennifer. She sent us an email that we could not ignore. So we asked her to come into the studio and read it out yeah, for us. And we're going right from... The, from the top. And a warning, it's pretty okay. heavy. It deals with suicide. Okay. 23 years ago, I was 18 and my mother was 50. I was charging recklessly and selfishly through my adolescence while my mother was starting her journey through menopause. I survived adolescence, but my mother did not survive menopause. She took her life one hot January night. I will never know if menopause was the reason she did this. Perhaps it was just a catastrophic catalyst. Whatever the finer details might be, I can't help but feel the timings between her suicide and menopause are not just some crazy coincidence. I have searched desperately for answers by staring at her photos, hoping for a hint in her eyes, by rifling through my father's papers after he died, hoping to find a hidden suicide note by trying to track down her old best friends, by trying to talk to family members who just don't want to talk about it, by twisting and turning every night in bed, by thinking about it every day for more than half of my life. But she took these answers, along with a lock of my hair, to her grave. I've spent the last 23 years feeling desperately afraid of my hormones. I've feared my menstrual cycle each month. I've feared the pregnancies and the chance of postnatal depression with both of my babies. In the past year, I have started paying attention to my cycle, looking for clues and signs of early menopause, a thought which sends a chill from my sprouting grey hairs right down to my newly forming bunions. While typing this, I realised that I've spent the last 23 years projecting her destiny onto me. I have been preemptively laying the blame squarely on my hormones and pretty much giving up on a battle that hasn't even started for me yet. After all, we all turn into our mothers, right? That's why I think I breathed a huge sigh of relief at the end of your latest episode and I felt an urge to write to you. I giggled a few times and I cried a hell of a lot, but I also walked away feeling not so alone in being a little out of control at certain times. I've never stopped longing for my mother, but I have, with a heavy heart, stopped looking for her to comfort me. She's gone. Lately, I've been finding myself looking towards other women in my life, my sister especially, my friends and their mums, 
and also in places where women are supported and discussed, just like your podcast. Because everyone else is still here, and so am I. Jennifer. <laughs> I feel like my voice is shaking a bit. I hope that was all right. <laughs> Thanks, Jennifer. And remember, if you ever need someone to talk to about these kinds of things, you can call Lifeline on 13114. We do need to stress, though, that Jennifer doesn't know for sure if there was a link between her mum's menopause and her suicide. As we learnt this season, the years around perimenopause and menopause can be associated with an increased rate of depression. Here's Dr Rosie Worsley, an endocrinologist. There's different stats that get thrown around. So 14 to 16 times were seen in one little study. Other studies that are a bit bigger suggest two to four times. But okay. we know that women definitely are more prone to depression in perimenopause. And we think that, you know, probably one of the major factors is this hormonal instability. So the fact that your estrogen's up and down, and we know that estrogen's really important for mood and it affects mood a lot in some women. It may also be related to what we call neurosteroids. So hormones like progesterone act on the brain through quite a few different complex mechanisms and that may have another role as well. I think the honest answer is we don't really know. Hey, do you want to know a secret? Since the first ever episode of Ladies We Need to Talk, we've had a policy. It's a space for women and folks who identify as female. It's a space where we can roam free, say whatever we like, not be judged, and we can tend to our lady gardens in peace and privacy. We don't interview men because we don't care what they think. (laughs) No, I'm just joking. Some of us do care. They're great. But just because they're not in the podcast, it doesn't mean they don't listen to it. So we thought we'd make an exception to our policy and just once let them in. There was a bit of pervy interest in trying to hear what women talk about when men aren't around. There's so many like aha moments. Taking the mental load, for example, there's things I would never have thought about. How good is this? They're actually learning. I promise these guys aren't paid actors. They actually did email us. If all men listen to this podcast, gosh, we'd have such a better understanding of women. I came away thinking that it's pretty complicated being a woman. (laughs) There's a lot more stuff you have to think about. Amen, mate. Amen. Our most popular episode of this whole season was about women who cheat. It's the first episode of season two, and in it, we went inside the affairs of three women. Remember Megan? It's uh, certainly a, um, a giddy feeling. We disguised her voice and changed her name. I suppose it amplifies the first feelings of love and lust and it's, yeah, the, the emotions are, are very, they run high and I just felt like that this was, that I hadn't felt like this in a very, very long time. Who have you told about the affair? Um, I reached out to this podcast, and that's all. (laughs) At the time we first spoke to Megan, she was married with two kids. The man she was having an affair with was also married, 
but they were seeing each other nearly every day. It felt like Megan's marriage was sitting on a knife edge. Thousands of you were fascinated by her story and people would literally stop me on the street to say, hey, what happened to that woman who was cheating on her husband? So six months on, we thought we'd check in to see how she's going. Um, So right now for me, um, my marriage is not in a great place and we are at a stage where things have to happen, things have to change. I, I sort of call it transition and it's a, it's pretty scary, but I, I feel like I'm in a place where I, I have to make decisions for my future and 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 for my my own happiness. But it's it's very difficult. It's very difficult. Very painful. So when you say transition, you mean things are starting to wrap up in your marriage? Yeah, yeah. Like I think we both identify that we when we can't stay together and we can't we can't make things work. And and it's been broken for quite a while. So yeah, that sounds kind of positive. It it is. I think it is. It's just in the in the moment, it's you know it's it's there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of you know discussions that are hurtful or not so much hurtful, but just painful and you know treading on eggshells a lot. But I think that when we 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 decide what you know, what we're actually going to do and the practicalities, it will actually be quite freeing for both of us. Megan, what was it like listening back to the episode of Ladies We Need to Talk and and hearing your story in that way? It it was strangely freeing because I got a chance to share and a chance to to tell, you know, you and, and then the listeners how I was feeling and that it's not black and white and and that, you know, you do find yourself making decisions that you never thought you'd have to make. So it was good to hear hear those um, and the other the other ladies talk about their experiences. It was it was good to get a, a bigger picture. Where are things at with your affair? They're actually really good. Um, yeah, we're we're really good right now. You know, he's still married, and it's you know secret. It's a secret relationship. What are your feelings of guilt at the moment? Um, I suppose my only feelings of guilt are really for for the for my my family, I suppose, in that the decisions that I make right now about my marriage are going to affect them. And you know, am I being selfish? Is that a you know? Is that a guilt? Uh, I feel guilty about having to make those decisions. Um, I don't actually feel guilty about the affair or anything like that. It's more that that my my the actions I'll take will have will will change you know my family's life. And you know, and and should I? And I have, you know, I struggle with this, is that should I stay in a relationship that's not, that's not fulfilling for the sake of, of children? And I think a lot of women struggle with that. Mm. And that's a big thing for me right now is do I, you know, do I give it another shot? Like, do I, do I stay? But ultimately, I don't think I can.
So you're thinking of leaving your husband and it's something you're giving serious consideration to. Yeah. Is your affair partner thinking about leaving his wife? No, no, that's no. I'm not thinking of leaving for him at all. This is for me. And right now, the relationship that he and I have is right, right now. But I certainly don't expect to run from one relationship straight into another one at all. Like I am, I am fatigued by relationships right now, and I don't, I don't want another full-time relationship. It's not something I can ask of him, and nor is it something I want to ask of him, because I don't think he's in a position to to leave anyway. Megan, in this. In hearing your story, there's a few ghosts. There's um, there's your husband that I don't see very clearly. He's kind of an apparition. And there's also the wife of your affair partner. Who is she to you? Uh, well, she's someone that I, I don't know at all. And I think that's probably for the best. So, yeah, she's someone that my affair partner discusses from time to time, but I don't know her at all. And I, I am acutely aware I get a one-sided image of who she is through through him. But to be honest, I, I don't pay too much thought to her. She she has her marriage or like the version of her marriage. I think we all have versions of our relationships and she has hers and it's nothing to do with me, that, that side. And yeah, I, I don't really think too much about her. At all. But do you know what? It's hard not to think about the other woman. And if our lady's inbox is anything to go by, loads of you have been the one who's been cheated on. This is Bernie from Toowoomba in Queensland. It was about four and a half years ago. I was seven years into my marriage with my husband. We had a three-year-old and at the time I had a newborn. And it was about six or seven months that things just weren't sitting right and weren't feeling right. And it was after, yeah, seven months that I finally caught out my husband in his affair. How did you catch him? So I'll just go back for the six or seven months I was made out to be the crazy lady um, in our marriage that um, everything that I was questioning or double questioning was made up in my head. Um, So one night um, my husband, who at the time used to work away for three, four weeks at a time, had come home and... He was drinking a lot of alcohol that afternoon and got quite drunk and he was sitting away down on our property. We've got our house and then we've got a shed. So he was away from the house. And then after a few too many beers, he pulled himself into bed and he had his phone on top of our bed. Now, at this time, he had changed the passwords in his phone, which he had never done previously, changed passwords Mm -hmm. on everything. So he was drunk and while he was drinking that afternoon, I was watching him, watching to see what PIN number he would put into his phone. And so when he had literally passed out, I grabbed his phone and it was about three o'clock in the morning. I got into his phone and looked 
looked in his messages and that's when I saw the messages between him and uh, the lady he was having an affair with. Um, but she, she, he didn't have her name in the phone as the name that she is, but it was under different mate's name. So he was very clearly trying to hide it. And the text messages that I found were just absolutely soul destroying. Um, you know, there were messages in there that she had asked him, had he slept with me? And his response in those messages were, I finally had to sleep with her because I haven't touched her for six months. I feel so disgusted within myself having to do that and I find it really disgusting having to sleep with her. Um, wow, he it, said that about you. About me, about his wife Jeez. that had battened down the hatches at home with his two kids, letting him go off and do the job that he wants to do. Um, it was just, it was heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking and it's still, those comments still sit with me today four years later. You're not disgusting. Yeah, I try. I tell myself that, but it's. I guess when it comes from a person that you have invested absolutely everything into, someone that you have taken vows with, and absolutely had children with, to hear those words, it, it, I try not to think about them, but they still sit there in the back of my mind. Every now and then, they creep up. Mm. Um, and it just, yeah, it just creeps in and it gives you that bit of self-doubt. Eventually, things got better for Bernie. She separated from her husband, gained her independence and, in a lot of ways, the affair actually helped her find her voice. And that turned out to be a bit of a theme among the women who wanted to talk about being cheated on. It hurt like hell. It was humiliating. But as time passed, they realised that separation, or in many cases divorce, was actually the best thing that ever happened to them. And that's certainly how it was for Bernie. I have learnt a lot and I have grown a lot over those last couple of years. Post-divorce life, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 See, no one talks about it. It's a bit like breaking your leg. You don't, you don't anticipate this is going to happen to you, so you don't sort of no. know... No, absolutely not. I have learnt now to be a better communicator and I have learnt to be more vocal, more vocal in my needs and my wants and what I am not willing to tolerate. Whereas before, when I was married and this affair was happening, I, I would keep quiet somewhat, you know, and I would move my boundaries. I'm now a person that if I've got a problem, I'm going to actually say it to you. Um, and I guess my ex-husband really, he doesn't appreciate that. <laughs> I, I like it. I think you've sort of found your power and that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Oh, absolutely. If you had a friend who's, you know, on the brink of a divorce or maybe midway through it, yeah. what would you say to, to her? You've got to hit rock bottom. You've got, to, you've got to be at your absolute worst to find within yourself your absolute best. The biggest thing that you learn is that... You have to be independent. You cannot depend on another man. You can't depend on your partner. You want to believe that you can, but you have to, you have, to have that within yourself. You, you can only depend on yourself. Mate, how good are women? For this end-of-season episode of our podcast, I wanted to get the very best women, the producers who work on this show, together to talk about what we've learnt. Cass and Maddie 
find guests to interview, line up all the recording sessions, do a shitload of research and then gather up all these bits of tape and mould them into the shape of a podcast. And Liv's our digital producer, which means she contributes to research and gives our podcast a life on the internet. So I asked them about which episode hit home the most. Here's Maddie. The one that stuck out for me was probably the pelvic floor episode because, Yumi, you and I went to visit a pelvic floor physio. Um, I was the one who drew the short straw and got to uh, have the internal exam. It was really eye-opening for me because I suppose I thought I don't think I have a problem. I've had a few kids, but I I don't feel like I've got a problem. And I think um, I walked out of there and secretly called the physio back and went, "Um, actually, I I think I need to see someone. (laughs) (laughs) So it was useful for me as well. And it sort of encapsulates a lot of ladies we need to talk in that there's this little tiny area of your life where you think you don't need to talk. And you think it's all good, but it's also a little icky if you do want to talk about it. And you find that by breaking it open, you can actually find a whole lot of support. Yeah. So many people came out of the woodwork saying, actually, what's the number of that physio? Actually, what should I be doing in this situation? And it was also like a chance for me to be in the room while you were getting an exam of your vag. Exactly. There's a moment in the episode where she made me cough (laughs) and it was this horrible, horrible cough. And I was listening back and cringing and Cass was saying, oh, do you want to, do you want to record it again? And I was like, no, 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 we have to keep it. We have to keep it real, but it's really hard to cough when someone has a finger up their, <laughs> up your vagina. <laughs> Liv, what was one of the standout eps for you? The standout ep for me was the 12-week rule, which we also looked at miscarriage. And I think why that stood out to me because was mainly the responses that we got. I just felt like it was the, you know, we get so much beautiful feedback from women who are listening or people in our lives of their experience with whatever it is that we're talking about. And I just felt like after that episode there was so many women that reached out to me personally or that I knew or women who had listened to the episode and felt so moved by it. And we just were flooded with the most beautiful, honest stories from women about what they'd experienced. And one was from a woman called Libby in Tamworth. So she said, I wish the hospital staff were more compassionate. I wish someone acknowledged that I had lost a baby. I wish someone had given my husband something for him to read, outlining the ways he could support me. I wish someone told me how much blood I would lose and how long this would go for. I wish the hospital offered counselling. I wish there was a miscarriage nurse. I struggled with it all. I was 700 kilometres from my family. So other than my husband, who didn't quite know how to help me other than offer to do things, I felt completely alone. Thank you for asking. It was lovely. Speaking of acknowledgement, I'd just like to take a sec to acknowledge one of our contributors, Sam, who was on the 12-week rule episode talking about her multiple miscarriages and pregnancy losses. Soon after we recorded that episode, she very excitedly contacted me to say that she was pregnant. Um, This was her ninth uh, pregnancy and she was super excited, but unfortunately she didn't take the pregnancy to term and the baby died. So I know she's... um, in her own journey of pain and also recovery. So we just wanted to send you our love. Love you, Sam. Cass. So Amy got in touch after the Secret Life of Hormones episode. So she says, your hormones episode saved me. Saved me from myself thinking I was just a bitch. I've shared your episode with three friends already and have seen my doctor and booked in with an endocrinologist. I'm too young for menopause, but too old for PMS. 
You've given me the hope that there is light on the other side of this progesterone nightmare. XX, Amy. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Amy. <laughs> I mean, we were really keen to do this episode because most women don't have a, a decent understanding of the changes that we go through hormonally throughout our menstrual cycle. Uh, we all know that, you know, you have the potential to get a little bit shitty just before your period, but I think that that's kind of where the knowledge generally ends and I sort of live with hormonal sensitivity and it has a big impact on my life. So hearing and putting together that episode was, it was validating because we heard from women who suffer from PMDD, which is premenstrual dysphoric disorder, the more intense version of PMS. So it was beautiful and validating to kind of hear that experience and to know, oh shit, like part of that is what I live with was huge. A huge thank you again to all the women who've contributed to this season. We could not have done it without you. And we're going to take a break, sisters, but don't worry, we will be back next year for season three of Ladies We Need to Talk. And yes, we do have heaps of ideas for what we'd like to talk about, but we'd love to hear from you for season three of Ladies We Need to Talk. Let us know what you want to talk about. Email us, ladies at abc.net.au. Goodbye. I will miss you, but please keep talking about this podcast. I know I'm biased, but I really do think it's a rad thing for women. So keep sharing it with your friends, downloading the podcast and spreading the ladies' love. You can find Ladies We Need to Talk on a podcast app or on the ABC Listen app. And if you've got any feedback or thoughts on the episodes, our number is 1300 641 or as I said before, before, send us an email at ladies at abc.net.au. This podcast is mixed by Isabella Tropiano with music production by Martin Peralta and Timothy Jenkins. It's produced by Cassandra Steeth. Supervising producer is Madeline Jenner. Our digital producer is Olivia Willis and our executive producer is Justine Kelly. This series was created by Claudine Ryan. The manager of Audio Studios is Kelly Reardon. And oh, you're still here. Well, just because you've listened all the way to the end, I'm going to leave you with a feminist joke. You ready? Knock, knock. Who's there? Nana. Nana who? None of your business what I'm wearing, what I look like, or whether I'm smiling. I'm Yumi Stein. Thanks for listening. 